It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat, the uh, the Green Brothers. Today, as we're both wearing like a faded green and a black hat, I, I swear we don't plan this, Horwat. We, we just happen to usually have the same things on when we come on to screen, and today, neither of us decided to go change. Hey, man, it happens. You know, it's just going to be the... Uh the way it is yeah it is the way it is and the Pittsburgh Penguins right now are the way that they are getting a two-to-one victory over the Colorado Avalanche before heading out to California we will talk about that California road trip a little bit later in the show we're also going to give our Eastern Conference wild card rankings you heard that right no more Metropolitan Division power rankings at this point of the season we're going to look at the Eastern Conference wildcard slate, the five teams fighting for two spots. We're going to rank them as how we see it on this day, February 9th. And we just feel like that's a little bit more of a, uh, a little bit more newsworthy or a little bit more accurate than trying to rank a division that has teams like the Flyers and the Blue Jackets that are completely out of it, as well as the Devils and the Hurricanes who are so far and above and beyond the Penguins that it's kind of, not really interesting for us to talk about teams that aren't anywhere near the Penguins in the standings. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I mean, it's getting to that point of the season where, um, hey, if you're not in it, you're not in it. You're having conversations about Connor Bedard. You're not worried about the, the next mid-May. You're not worried about May or mid-April to May. You know, it's we still have these discussions of, well, can the Penguins make the playoffs? Or it's in a dogfight. The Metro's a dogfight right now. Mm-hmm. A couple other teams in the Atlantic are fighting for the same sort of thing. So it's going to be interesting. And I'll tell you what, it's way more entertaining than last season. It is. That's the big part of it. We have to remember last year by December, if not November even, the East was decided. All eight teams were decided. It just came down to placement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at least this has some entertainment value to it. It does. And we'll get into that in our latter segment of the show, the last segment of the show. But I want to start here, Horowat. The Pittsburgh Penguins came back from break and basically had their full complement, and I put that in air quotes, full complement of forwards healthy and at their disposal. What they decide to do is the top six that we had already seen earlier in the season, Raquel goes up, Russ goes down, and then you have the third line of McGinn, Carter, Kapanen, fourth line of Paling, Bluger, Archibald. We're really going to circle around the third line in this one, though, because I feel like... When you look at the Penguins' full health 
at forwards, you have two first lines and two fourth lines and nothing in between. Yeah. Yeah, you could say that. Absolutely. It's not a good not a good situation. I can remember you know, I was sitting in the press box watching the last game, and I think I was watching the third line out there and just thought to myself, gone are the days where the Penguins can roll four lines. And then it hit me, like, that's not good. That's not the way it should be. We're supposed to be able to be a team that can roll all four lines. That's what made us so good um, in the postseasons for 16, 17, even 18 to an extent, uh, and maybe some of the years leading up before that. That's what made us so good is that we were able to throw any of the four lines out there and expect something successful to happen, even if they were no-names, like a Tom Kunockle or a Carter Rowney. I mean, those are guys that aren't doing anything these days, but um, we were able to utilize in a proper way and throw over the boards in a postseason situation and roll right along. That's what the Penguins need to somehow, some way find again and get back to. Don't know how it happens. But we've lost that. Now you're right. It is just two firsts and a couple of fourths. Yeah, and I feel like that's not really a recipe for sustained success. It can't be because you're putting so much pressure on your top six. And listen, if this was the Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin of 2015 in their primes, not to say that they're performing poorly, but they are older. And eventually, you know, you would expect it to catch up to them. If it doesn't catch up to them, great for the Penguins. But why are you testing that? Like, you're making it harder on these guys as they get older, which is not a good thing. And the, and the scary part is they're taking less and less money and they're making up for less and less of the salary cap. And yet they're getting less and less help. So it's not helpful for the team. I don't think it's a recipe for success. And I think the biggest issue with that is the third line. Because if you have two fourth lines, how are you going to blame the fourth liners that are actually being deployed as they should be for performing in a role that they're supposed to be at? You blame the third line. You look at what they were doing on Tuesday. They didn't allow any goals at 5-on-5. Five five. Jeff Carter, I don't know what he was doing on that 4-on-4 four four opportunity. It was him and Zucker out there. He basically, and as I said it on Penguins Go yesterday, he, he blocked the paint and opened up a lane for Nathan McKinnon to go and score. He looked like a pylon out there just waving his stick around. I don't know what he was doing. But apart from that, this line did not give up any goals at 5-on-5. Five they made up for 41% of the shot attempts and 84% of the expected goals because they led in scoring chances 4-0. to They're basically playing as if they're a fourth line. They're not creating opportunities, but they're attempting to not give up any opportunities and play defensive. Yeah, and they're giving up too many opportunities. And if you look at some of those, did you see the Bob, uh, the Bob Grove tweet before the game? The, their streaks without points? Three players without streaks. One of them's blue, you're so handicapped a little. But he was still. on the third line before break, though. Sure, he was. So, and the, all three of those players, uh, their pointless streaks extended. They're, mm-hmm. they're, uh, <clears throat> they got extended to another game, and all of them were career highs already. You know, if you want me to read them off, Brock McGinn is now at 17 games. Mm-hmm. Teddy Bluger, like we said, now at 15, and Jeff Carter, now at 11. Yeah, career high for him. Uh. Not good. That's That does show how good Jeff Carter was, though, for what it's worth, throughout his career, that mm-hmm. his career high was 10. Um, that being said, though, these guys aren't useful right now. No. There's – and I don't know how to fix it. I don't know who can go in because you don't want to put – you really don't want to put Dan Heinen back in, do you? You don't – 
Sure, maybe Drew O'Connor. Yeah, absolutely Drew O'Connor. But that fills up as a one, third liner, though. Yeah, that fills up one slot and in as a third liner. I mean, sure, give him the extra exposure, but yeah, it's not. We're in a we're in a pickle. <laughs> we're in a pickle, you could say. So mm-hmm. we got to find some spark. And like I said last episode, these are all guys that have proven to do something before. Each and every one of them. Now mm-hmm. they have to find that spark again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't to, know how that happens, but to go a little deeper on those those scoreless droughts, as you mentioned from Bob Grove, uh, for Brock McGinn to put that in perspective, he hasn't scored a point since the Christmas break. His last point was against the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, the game tying goal that he had late in that one, right before Christmas. Valentine's Day is in five days, guys. Like that's. That's a long time to not have a single point. I understand there was a, a bye week and an all-star break in the middle of there, but that was only nine days. You've played 17 games, getting close to a quarter of a season, and he has zero points. And for Jeff Carter, to, to put that into perspective as well, zero in his last 11, but in his last 23 games, which is over a quarter of an NHL season, he has three goals and two assists, and two of those points come on the power play. So he has three even strength points in 23 games. Is one of those an empty net point too? Uh, I'm too far back. I I don't know that. I didn't look into that specifically, but I I have really no understanding of, I think Jeff Carter is the biggest issue. Like when you look at these three captain, we haven't really talked about. He just returned from injury. Uh, It was his first game since January 18th. We'll get to him in a minute. But I think when you look at this line, Jeff Carter is the worst part of this line right now. I mean, He's the biggest issue because he's not a movable asset. The best thing you can think of is maybe you put him on the wing, but there's nobody to take his spot as the Penguins' third-line center. And what does he bring to this line? What does he bring to this team at this point with the way he's playing, Horwat? If you ask the coaching staff at this point even, it might just be face-offs. How about the gimmick that he's getting run out there for overtimes? Take the draw and immediately skate off the ice. It's a gimmick. What are we doing? That's horrible. Like, you should not be keeping a guy in that's 38 years old because of face-offs. Let's face it. The only reason he's out there is because he has a no-trade clause and he's because he's being paid however much money he's being paid. I mean, that third line right now is making $9 million against the cap and producing like a fourth line. Like, they're producing like they should all be league minimum players. Exactly. Exactly. It's not good. It's... You, man, it's extremely hard to have this conversation because it's Jeff Carter and we just know he's not going anywhere. He's not going to get scratched. He's not going to get traded because Hextall likes him and gave him the full no move at the age of 38. Sure, whatever. And, I I mean, Mike Sullivan is usually pretty good, sometimes pretty good about putting people in doghouses. But Jeff Carter, nowhere to be found. I, you know, it's, Getting to the point where, like I said, he's just a gimmick at this point. He goes out, takes face-offs, and immediately skates off the ice. He's a gimmick. You like, and here's the other thing too: you're sending him out there to take the draw. It's not like you have a, it's not like you have three wingers on the ice whenever he comes, whenever he hits the bench. You have Sidney Crosby out there. He's mm-hmm. the one playing wing on that opening draw in the in the overtime. What happened to that? Has Sidney Crosby's face-off numbers just plummeted? I mean, I've always thought he hasn't been the greatest in important face-offs. I mean, he does get his fair share of important ones. Um, but I've always kind of thought he he loses 
I feel like. At least it's more noticeable that he loses important draws and he wins them. But what are we doing here? What are we doing here with that gimmick? He Sidney Crosby's won 52% of his draws this year. And for comparison, where's Jeff Carter's numbers? I forgot he hasn't had a lot of points. Uh, 59. So that's a good number. It's a great number. But that's all he's good for. Yeah, and if that's all you're good for, making that much money with a full no-move clause at the age of 38, then you're really not good for anything. And I understand, listen, I understand that face-offs are important to the game, but not important enough to keep somebody whose literal only asset to the team is that he can win face-offs. Like, that, that's the biggest issue right now is, listen, Jeff Carter might be great in that locker room, might be good friends with Ron Hextall. He's not a good hockey player right now. He's not. And the fact that you have to trot him out there as your third-line center, you can't even make him your fourth-line center because I don't think Teddy Bluger is good enough to take that role. I don't think Ryan Paling is good enough to take that role. That's the biggest issue is that the Penguins not only have this player that isn't performing, but they have nowhere to put him because they have no one to go in that spot. And we've talked for a long time about what that does for Ron Hextall and what kind of mark that is in his ledger. I think Jeff Carter is undoubtedly and unquestionably the biggest black mark on Ron Hextall's ledger as Penguins general manager. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's because there are like, we could ups... And you know what? It's the contract. It's not the trade for. I'll say that too. It's not the trade for Carter because his first little stint here was fine. He did perfectly fine. Remember, he's had a four-goal game. Yeah, it was against Buffalo Sabres, the bad Buffalo Sabres, but who cares? He scored goals for us. He helped us out quite a bit mm-hmm. during the run of what was uh, the ending of his contract. Mm-hmm. This is all started this year. So it all stems from, and maybe toward the end of last year, this all stems from the re-signing. The trade for Carter, I don't even remember what we traded away for him. I think it was like a pick. A third and a fourth conditional. <sighs> Not even like, oh, one of them was conditional. Yeah, it wasn't even like we traded away someone who we can, who everyone ha- can have revisionist history on, a la Jared McCann, Evan Rodriguez. It's not like we traded away a revisionist history player either. We traded away a couple of picks. Yeah, okay. I'll let the trade for Jeff Carter slide, but it is the con- it is the everything that has happened since. It is the contract signing and the season that he has had this year, and the season that he just might have next year, guys. He's yeah. not going anywhere. Yeah, and here's the thing. The only way they can really get free from that contract is to buy it out. And that's something to discuss at a later date, maybe when we do our 3Ms a little bit later in in the season. But when you look at Jeff Carter and the person that is really suffering the most, and I think there was one play that really highlighted this on Tuesday, and it's Kasperi Kapanen. Because when you asked Kapanen, he kind of had a shoot response to you. What do you bring? He said, you know what? You guys keep asking this. Speed and forecheck. Speed and forecheck. But the biggest problem is he's on a line that does not have the capability to play with speed. Because you saw what happened, and I rewatched the last seven minutes of that game and into the overtime. Crosby's line, humming on all cylinders. Malkin's line, humming on all cylinders. They put out Carter's line, and guess who's humming on all cylinders? Kapanen. Brock McGinn having some pretty nice stretch passes. But the one problem is, when Kapanen enters the zone... And if McGinn's the guy to set the stretch pass up for Kapanen, Jeff Carter's not there. By the time Kapanen enters the zone, he has to pull up. Like we keep saying, don't pull up, don't pull up, drive to the net. He has to pull up because he has no help. He has to pull up and wait 
for a guy like Jeff Carter to get into the zone. And that's what happened. He turned the puck over. The puck came out. Luckily, the Penguins got possession back. And the next shift was Evgeny Malkin's shift. And they went on and scored a goal. But that is the perfect example of why, listen, I don't know what to make of the Kapanen. We said this on Monday. And I'm not going to know what to make of Kapanen unless you separate him from a guy like Jeff Carter. Because despite that being a bromance late last season, it's not good for the players on the ice. It isn't. It's not a fit. It might be a chemistry that they like each other. They might be really close with each other. But on the ice, their styles aren't matching up. And it's hurting Kasperi Kapanen. So I don't know what to do with Kapanen. I don't know what kind of player to expect him to be when he's alongside Jeff Carter. And as we've already mentioned, I don't know how you move Jeff Carter or who you put in that role if Carter is gone. So I don't know what to make of Kapanen. I, I do know what to make of Jeff Carter, and it is you need to find a way to really minimize his role on this team. Fourth line right wing would be perfect, but right now that's Josh Archibald who's fitting that role very well. So do you knock somebody like Archibald out of that role? Do you put him up on the third line? That's not really a great answer. There's not a lot of answers for this Penguins third line. They need to make some moves, and we've already said that. We've, we've mentioned it multiple times. But the biggest anchor on that line is Jeff Carter. Brock McGinn isn't absolved from this. I know we kind of went away from him. But Jeff Carter is really the straw that stirs the drink in mm-hmm. the dysfunction of the Penguins' bottom six. And he's, this, he's a, like you said, the straw that stirs, but also he's the big name on there. He's the immovable object on mm-hmm. this spot, too. Because you look at a guy like Brock McGinn, all right, well, I mean, if you truly need to, um, ship him off. I know, yeah. he's, I know he's a Hextall guy, but if you truly need to, ship him off. Make him be one of the trade. How? No one's talking about that. Anybody else want uh, Brock McGinn on the trade market? Anyone? Anyone? It's probably going to be one of the two wingers there. You know, if the Penguins make a move, they're going to have to move salary cap space out. And it's probably going to be one of Brock McGinn or Kasperi Kapanen. Yeah. And then Kapanen obviously carries the bigger cap hit, so he's the one that comes up a lot more because the Penguins need all the cap help they can get. Uh, so his $3.2 million contract comes into the conversation. Brock McGinn also has an extra year. He's got three yep. left. He's got this year, next year, and the year after. Mm-hmm. At two seven five, which, hey, you know what? It's not a lot of money. It's not. But it hurts. It's not it a lot of space. It's not a lot of money if you have three or four other players making league minimum in the bottom six. And you can afford to say, hey, you know what? We need a proven guy in the bottom six. Then you go get, and get Brock McGinn. But four years at $2.75 million for McGinn when they don't have those guys in the bottom six, those you know league men players that don't eat up a lot of the cap in a flat cap league, it's another black mark on Ron Hextall's ledger. But Yeah, because you know what we don't have? League men players. Uh, not have, at all. Not at we all. got Josh Archibald making 900000 I guess I should clarify that. Dan Hines making a million. Teddy Bluger in the final year of his deal is making 2-2. Ryan Paling and Drew O'Connor are both 7-5-0. There you go. There's your league minimum players right there. One of them's not in the lineup. Yeah. The other one is going to get a pretty healthy paycheck this summer. And then you go to the defensive side of things, and it's still much of the same. I mean, Mark Friedman, league men, 7-7-5. Close enough to league men, at least. Chad Ruweedle, 800,000. And P.O. Joseph, 8-2-5 for the next... But all three of those players for the next this season and next. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, there goes all of our money. Yeah. We we want to see more league men players in there, but they also have to be the right fit. Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit more after this break, uh, talking about 
who they could insert because there are a couple answers in the Penguins system that we haven't seen. When could we expect to see them? I have a theory on that coming up after the break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. We talked a lot about the Pittsburgh Penguins' third line and their woes and Jeff Carter and all of the above and how the Pittsburgh Penguins have $9 million sunk into that third line. Not only that, but two of the players still have contracts next season while one of them, Brock McGinn, extends out to two. The one question is, when will we see the two leading scorers from the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton Penguins get a sniff at the NHL this season? Valtteri Pustinen and Alex Nylander. Now, I understand, and most people will say, it's not easy with your current cap situation. If the Penguins are all healthy, they're still going to have to send a couple of guys down. Drew O'Connor is currently sitting on the bench, and so is Dan Heinen. So where do you fit in a Valtteri Pustinen and an Alex Nylander? Specifically, where do you get them into a lineup spot, and how can you really say, hey, we're going to sit down Brock McGinn at $2 million when you're up against the cap. I think there's a real big factor into when these guys might potentially see some NHL time, and it's not going to be anytime soon. I don't think you're going to see them until after the trade deadline, because right now, the one name that's really blocking a spot from them being on the roster is Danton Heinen. And we talk about asset management. Yes, you could try to force Heinen through waivers and send him down, open up a roster spot, open up a million dollars in cap, and bring one of those guys up. The problem with that being, asset management-wise, this close to the deadline, do you really want to lose a guy like Danton Heinen for free when he could be a potential trade piece? And the answer is no. Like, that would be poor asset management by Ron Hextall. So I really feel like once the deadline passes, if Heinen is not a deadline piece, you see him get sent down and put on waivers. And then potentially see either Pustinen or Nylander get the call and hopefully see them inserted as one of the pieces to try to build back that third line. Yeah, ideally, you don't lose anyone for, for nothing. It yes. doesn't matter who the player is. Ideally, you get some sort of asset back, whether it be a small pick, whether it be... A middling prospect. Ideally, you get something back for everybody. You know, that's kind of the pains of free agency and mm-hmm. why we didn't let anybody walk this past summer. <clears throat> so, I like the idea of trying to send Heinen down. It's one of the more difficult things uh, to do because, you know, you don't, those, those are, that's just not the things you want to do to a team, right? To a player. Hey, we've scratched you enough. There's nothing else we could do with you. Go get some playing time in the A. Um, 
it's harder. It's a little bit harder, but I think it's a necessary one. I, I also just don't know if these young guys are going to make their moves. We have so much locked up in bona fide NHL talent that we've seen, mm-hmm. that we've tried. Like, Alex Nylander can get all the all-star noms he wants for the AHO. It's not really going to pan to anything, I think. I don't know what to make of all of it. You know, and Valtteri Pustin not coming up, that's a whole different conversation. But these are guys that deserve their chances but actually deserve a real shot. We saw Jonathan Gruden come up and play three games and play five minutes. Yeah. That's the other thing. We got to – they have to be played. They can't just come up and sit here. Well, I think that there's a a vast difference between Jonathan Gruden and what the coaching staff thinks of him and a guy like Valtteri Pustinen. Remember at at training camp, we saw Pustinen spend most of the early portions of training camp playing with Gensel and Crosby. Say what you will about the fact that he's been in the AHL all season. That says something about what the organization thinks of him. Now, he's being blocked right now by a lot of veteran players that are at the NHL level. But once the trade deadline's over, once all of that shapes out, I feel like if you're going to make a move at the deadline, if you're the Penguins, you're going to have to ship out multiple forwards. So a spot yeah. might come open. And I'm saying Danton Heinen is the, the easy piece because I still feel like people around the league are going to look at that and say, all right, well, maybe he needs a change of scenery. Maybe we can put him in a better position, and he's only $1 million. And if the, if the Penguins can't ship him off in a trade, the Penguins should send him down because he's not doing anything on this team. And you should give somebody else like O'Connor the opportunity to stick at the NHL level. But I do truly feel like if you're going to acquire, whether that be, you know, let's say Brock Besser is out there, you're going to have to trade multiple assets that lead up to salary cap space. It's not going to be Brian Dumlin. Like, I would highly doubt anybody's taking Dumlin. And the Penguins aren't going to really want to trade a defenseman unless it's Jan Ruda. So... It might be two forwards, especially since we talk about the fact that they're going to need to make multiple moves. So if you're taking two players in one trade, another play in another, it's going to open up some space, and you hope that a guy like Pustinen gets that opportunity once some of the roadblocks in front of him are removed by the trade deadline. That's all I'm saying is, you know, we haven't seen him, probably not going to see him before the deadline, but potentially after the deadline, depending on what the Penguins do, if they actually make moves like we're saying they need to, that should open up some space for one of these guys to come in and ideally start on the third line on the left wing side. Yeah, that's that is the ideal because that gives them the, the playing time. The other thing is too, I forget who he was talking about. Whenever one of the call ups or re or uh, reassignments happened, Mike Sullivan gave the reasoning and, and it said because they want to get them playing time, you know, whichever league they're in. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, guess what? You've—I think he was talking about Mark Friedman specifically. Guess what? Mark Friedman's been a healthy scratch. What happened to we want to get them playing time? Yeah. And what happened? And like I said, I'll, yeah, Jonathan Gruden's not at the same level, but I'll throw him in there. You called him up, played him for five minutes, and then healthy scratched him for a handful of games. Ty Smith called him up, threw him into an awful situation where he performed very well in, and then healthy scratched him for a couple of games. Sam Poulin, whenever he was up, played a couple of games, got a first career point, and then healthy scratched again. The idea that they're saying they want these guys to play no matter the league, I don't want to say it's a downright lie, but it's pretty damn close considering the amount of times they call someone up, barely play them, and then healthy scratch them. 
Yeah, I also think there are some instances there where you have to you have to have somebody healthy scratched, and you're trying to put the best product on the ice night in and night out. But I do agree Absolutely. with you that there are some instances where it's like, yeah, you're you're healthy scratching the young guy. Like right now with Drew O'Connor, yeah. What point of having Drew O'Connor on the bench is better than? I mean, it's hard because I like the fourth line. It's better than Teddy Bluger. Like, does Teddy Bluger deserve to sit for a couple games potentially? Now he's back in a role that he's probably more comfortable with with a fourth line center. And it looked pretty good on Tuesday against the Abs, But, I mean, Drew O'Connor was performing fairly well before the break. But also, so was Danton Heinen. He had two goals in three games before the break. And they still said, you know what? Josh Archibald's back, though, son. Get up there in a suit. Like, it, it's it's an interesting situation. A lot of teams are dealing with it right now. But the Pittsburgh Penguins' bottom six is going to be volatile over the next month. And for the rest of the season as they try to figure out some conglomeration that gives them a better chance to win. Because right now, listen, the fourth line is the fourth line. They're performing as a fourth line. I can't really get too upset about it. I want to see what Teddy Bluger does in that role because him as a 3C, I'm done with. Like, I'm done with this season. Yeah, Maybe fast. in the future. Yeah, maybe in the future. But what we saw from him this season in total, it, 3C is kind of out of the question. But that third line needs fixed. The answers might not be on the roster right now, but you have to make it work in the meantime. So... I think that I'd love to see Pustinen and Nylander or Nylander, not, not even both of them. Give one of them a shot. I'd love to see it. But I I know it. it's probably not going to happen unless there's injuries. It's probably not going to happen before the deadline, and it might not even happen at that point. But I think that's when you could realistically see these moves have to be made, and it might open up a lane for one of these guys to get into the lineup. And at that point, maybe there's no turning back. Probably not. It's... It's hard. I just I can't get over the idea of these guys not getting their chance. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, like I said, it's the way it is. We have it's bona fide NHL players, regardless of how good or bad they are. That you're not going to send Jeff Carter to the AHL. He's 38. He'll retire. And that say, that I'm pretty have, sure if you have a no move clause, you can't get sent down. That too. Yeah, you can't even. But you know what I mean. Even if you had, even if you threw that option out there to him, like he's 38, he'd just retire and say, "All right, you deal with the cap consequences. It's not my problem." Yeah. You know? And to to rebuttal that, a lot of people are saying, oh, if he retires, the Penguins get cap relief. They don't. They nope. really don't. Um, they got to still deal with it. It doesn't go away. The only way it goes away is if he pulls a Pavel Dadsuk or uh, who's the other player I'm thinking of? Jalmerson. Did he do it? I don't even remember. A you lot remember of Hosa, all the Blackhawks. There are certain teams that are still paying for retired players. I'm pretty sure Rick DiPietro is still on the ledger for the Islanders. I'm pretty sure uh, Le Cavalier is still getting paid by the Lightning somehow. Is Kovalchuk still getting paid from someone? Probably. I just don't know who. Yeah. So, so. like, retiring, <clears throat> I think it depends on the retirement, depends on the contract, and depends on a multitude of different factors. But could it doesn't Jeff just go Carter, away. Yeah. Could Jeff Carter retire and we get the cap relief? Depends. It does fully depend on the situation, the scenario, the contract, and what the league thinks. Mm-hmm. It's more than what we could tell you right now. Uh, so, yeah, d- him retiring doesn't help anything. No. Uh, it might, you never know, but he also isn't going to do that because mm-hmm. he's getting a good paycheck. So, yeah. Uh, so let's move on from this, and, and we could talk about this till the cows come home because it's going to be a long, long month before the trade deadline, and, you know, we're probably going to have to end up waiting to see if Ron Hextall makes a move up until the last minute. But, Horwat, you put out a piece yesterday on InsideThePenguins.com about Pierre-Olivier Joseph. 
and his invaluable rookie season, because technically this is still his rookie season. Uh, so since you wrote the piece on it, I'm going to let you just have the floor first here. What do you think of P.O. Joseph and how do you view his rookie season to this point? So at this point, he's played with a hell of a lot of confidence, playing with um, some swagger, if you will. He's shown some real speed in himself, too. He's more than just a uh, pretty stout defenseman. He's getting good puck-moving ability. He's you know, only 12 points on the season, but, I mean, as a quote-unquote rookie defenseman um, making his way in this league, it's impressive. He plays with that confidence. He plays with great speed on the blue line. Which is a little more rare. You don't see a lot of speed on a blue line from, you know, especially the taller guys. He's 6'2". He's a big guy. Uh, still a little thin, but that's time to that'll be time to work out. And it's great that we're getting this kind of production out of him with this low cap. And I said it earlier, he's making 8.25 uh, against the cap for this year and next year. We have another season with this. Hmm. And what makes it all the more impressive, at least to me, is that he was outplayed by Ty Smith throughout the preseason and the... Uh, training camp that's what it seemed it seemed like that was ty smith's role we're gonna have to shove p.o joseph through waivers and hope for the best no we we ended up getting a pretty solid uh representative for this penguins blue line and i've been every every game game in and game out he's been an impressive player speed confidence and that's as a defenseman doing your job that's most of it having some speed having some confidence the defensive numbers I don't really know that well, <laughs> uh, but he looks damn good. He's making great plays both offensively and defensively and has been rewarded on quite a number of occasions. Currently, he is being deployed as the third-pairing left-handed defenseman alongside Chad Ruedel, uh, but what you've seen this season is the, the coaching staff grow more and more confident in his abilities. I mean, he's controlled, according to natural stat trick, this season. 54% of the total shot attempts at even strength and 54% of the expected goals at even strength as a third pairing defenseman and somebody that has spent time on the second pair has spent time as the top pairing left-hand defenseman for this team and is playing 14 minutes and 47 seconds of time on ice per game on average. I really think that when you look at what you expected of P.O. Joseph coming into this season, he's at least meeting all of those markers. Now, is he surpassing it above and beyond? Is he way better than we could have ever expected? No, I don't think that he's blowing anybody out of the water. But there's something to be said for a young defenseman in a league that is showing these defensemen come in at 18, 19 years old. You're talking about your Kale McCars, your, your Quinn Hughes, your Adam Foxes. There's something to be said for the route that we're used to seeing defensemen go through which is you come in when you're about 22, 23, 24 years old, and you take your lumps, and you start to build from there. P.O. Joseph is right on track to be an invaluable member of this team and a really good top four defenseman for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I think when you look at the season he's had, you can't say anything, but it's been a success. It's been a really good piece for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and you see the chemistry that he's growing with everybody on the ice right now. There's not one player that he has to be strapped to to perform. You saw in the last game, he was on the ice with Chris Letang late in the third period. Does that not tell you everything you need to know about what this coaching staff thinks of P.O. Joseph and how much they believe in P.O. Joseph? Oh, and one other thing. 
the Penguins scored their only goal of the game on that shift. Yeah. <clears throat> Until the overtime. But Well, yeah, regulation. Yeah. Um, yeah, this coaching staff thinks really highly of them, too. I I forget if Mike Sullivan spoke on, P- on PO after the game. <clears throat> Off the top of my head, I'd have to look back at it. Um, but, yeah, he's having a phenomenal year. He's having a phenomenal standout season for a 23-year-old rookie. 23-year-old, I'm going to keep throwing air quotes around rookie uh, because, I mean, 16 games in 2020, 2021, four, four last year. <laughs> Maybe that's where it happens. But you, ha- you have to play 25 games, so he's getting close. No, he's far past. He's got 46 this year. Well, yes, but, but coming into um, the season, you have to have played 25 games to lose the rookie status in the NHL. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's proving himself to be a well-versed rookie at that then. A well-versed rookie mm-hmm. in having been sent up sent down multiple occasions if you know if you all remember he was on that before he made his NHL debut I believe yeah it would have to be before he made his NHL debut even he was on a he was on that squad of it's like four or five that went to the bubble the, along, yeah the along with squad. like Sam Poulin and somebody else I'm forgetting um mm-hmm. so like they had they've had faith in him even then they said if push comes to shove in this bubble we're going to utilize you. We're going to have you at the ready. Now, obviously, we know how that went. But ever since then, he's proven to be a pretty good-looking NHL-caliber defenseman. Um, mm-hmm. And it's good that he is the one that has made it this far. Who knows where we'd be if it was... I mean, I'm not saying we'd be better or worse if it was Ty Smith, but who knows if we would even still have P.O. Joseph on this team right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very true. I mean, when you look at P.O. Joseph, I, th- I think to close this entire segment out, it's it's just a fact that when you watch him play, realize that this team really likes where he's going, and it would be a shame if he had to be included in a piece at the trade deadline. I don't know if that's a possibility, uh, but when you look at a young player on a good contract, performing the way he is, I think it would be silly for the Pittsburgh Penguins to move away from him, especially considering what they have on the left side right there with Doomlin, Pedersen, and him. Uh, you really only have then Pedersen and maybe Smith when he comes up, but uh, you can't go away from a guy that has been tried and true the entire season. I think it would be stupid uh, to move Joseph at the deadline, even if it does bring you back something valuable for the third line, because I think when you look at the defense, there's still things they need to fix up, and P.O. Joseph doesn't you know, play without flaws, but I do think that he's one of the better defensemen, and I don't think you need to trade away a young asset like that, especially when you look at the the system. And yeah, behind Ty Smith, there's really nobody. I mean, you could say Friedman, yes. But again, after that, Taylor Ferdoon, like, who do you have? Uh, Don't trade P.O. Don't trade P.O. But uh, before we take a quick break, uh, the Penguins are going on a road trip here to California, the annual California road trip that they've been doing since the 2014-15 season. Their record in these three games since that season 9-10-2. 9-10-2. Their biggest issue is with the LA Kings at the Crypt, Crypto.com Arena, 2-4-1 against the Kings since 2014-15. So when they're going on that California road trip, you hope that they're able to get a couple of wins against teams that have historically not been that good in the past about eight years. The Kings are going to be the toughest, toughest beat for them in this little stretch because the other two teams are kind of tanking. But uh, the only winning percentage that the Penguins have since 2014-15 is at Anaheim with a 4-3 and record. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, our power rankings for the Eastern Conference wildcard. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Screw Metropolitan Division Power Rankings, Horowat. We're going to go straight to the Eastern Conference Wild Card. Five teams fighting for two spots. It's going to be that way for it seems like the rest of the season. One team might bow out, but very close right now as all five of those teams are separated by four points in the standings. Right now, the Washington Capitals have the first wild card with 60 points. The Penguins and the Islanders are tied for the second wild card with 59. Then it's the Sabres and the Panthers tied with 56. Let's give our power rankings for this, Horwat. Who do you have at number five and number four in your Eastern Conference wild card power rankings? My five and four go to both Atlantic Division teams, ironically. <clears throat> I got Buffalo at five, Florida at four. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buffalo is at the very bottom, despite how much of a fun situation they would be to knock somebody out of the postseason. I just don't see it happening this year for them. I mean, that goaltending is still very, very interesting. It's not it's not ideal quite yet. Um, and sure, they're getting otherworldly production from some, off, from some offensive players, but, I mean, that defense is still spotty. I mean, Rasmus Dahlin's having a great season. He's having a great season offensively. I have no idea what his defensive numbers look like. I haven't heard him do that much defensively he's having a standout season at scoring so i don't know what the blue line holds craig anderson is still their starter i think that Mm -hmm. makes me question a lot of things about the team but not enough i mean i think they could be a very interesting piece next year and very interested to see what they do for a goalie this offseason uh but this is their building year and it's quite fun tage thompson's eating the world alive Mm -hmm. and they're going to be a threat for years to come it's just um, and they could still be a threat this year, you know, pull a few things together. Certain other teams fall off, but just as of right now, they're my five. And for Florida, I mean, just someone else had to be above Buffalo at this moment. They have a little bit more sure goal, sure goaltending whenever uh, it's healthy. And yeah, I mean, yeah, they're questionable everywhere else. I mean, I don't know how good or bad Matthew Kachuk is all of a sudden looking. Matthew Kachuk's doing good, but. Yes, I mean he's fifth in the NHL in points, but oh, he is. Yeah. Shoot, okay. I'm, yeah, he has I'm, seventy-one points I'm in fifty games. Thinking of the back end of that deal, I'm thinking of the uh, Huberdeau <laughs> not doing well in yeah. Calgary. I got that confused. I was like, yeah, pretty good. Okay, I got it confused. <clears throat> yeah, it's the fact that they won the deal. It's still, I just don't know how Florida is uh, going to be able to get it done. So my questions, I mean, they're behind Buffalo right now. Ooh, because Buffalo has three games in hand. Ouch. Yes. Still, uh Eh. I mean, it's the bottom two teams. It's two of the Atlantic teams. I'm expecting the Metro to hold both of the spots in the wild card by the time it's all said and done. Yeah, the, I mean, it helps that there's three Metropolitan Division teams in this, but I have the exact same five and four. Uh, not because I, I disrespect the Buffalo Sabres, but the same thing you said. This is a building year for them. This is much better than they expected to be, and also because their general manager said he's not going to go out there and sell the farm for a team that's going to make the playoffs and then go up against a one or two seed. They like their farm system. They don't want to start selling pieces just yet. They're just not at that point in their rebuild. I mean, yes, they're nearing the end. And yes, next year, they might be a very dangerous team and a very good, all of a sudden, Atlantic division. But I just don't think that the three-goalie system is one that's going to be successful. I mean, Anderson has 41 games played, I believe. This makes no sense. 31 games played, excuse me, I think. I got to look into that. Because I have Anderson 41, Lukanen at uh, 23 and Comrie at 27, which makes no sense at all. Um, I got to go back and look at that. But Anderson is their starting goaltender with Ukapeka Lukanen and Eric Comrie also coming in to fill 
for them. And I just don't see them holding up down the stretch because I don't think they're going to get any additions as well. Do you have that in front of you? Yeah, what goalie numbers did you say you had? 41, 23, and 27. I don't know what I was looking at. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Craig Anderson is 41 years old. Uka Pekka Lukanen is 23 years old. And uh, Eric Comrie is 27 years old. That makes sense. I looked the wrong wrong column. <laughs> the wrong column. Two over. I'll read over the games started. Uh, yeah. UPL is at 21. Craig Anderson at 16. And then Eric Comrie at 13. So... So again, they're all around. They're they're actually closer. I don't know. <laughs> I put the freaking ages. <laughs> oh lord. They yeah. don't have well, a true starter. It seems. It just seems they're no. flipping through those three, which is a very weird system. But for what it's worth, I mean, thirteen six and two from the uh, from Uka Pekka Lukanen is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's still an eight ninety nine though. How do you have twelve win, thirteen wins, and you're an eight ninety nine? Very talented scoring. Remember, Buffalo is the highest scoring team in the National Hockey League right now. And that's something. <laughs> Right? I mean, they're, they're trying to outscore their problems. And again, as we've known, that's not always the best uh, best recipe for success in the National Hockey League. So I have them at five. I'm going to move on to the next one. So I try to get past that blunder. Florida, I have more faith in Florida than you do. I think their goaltending is atrocious, though. I mean, paying Sergei Bobrovsky for what he's been has been one of the worst deals of our lifetime. Um, so Bobrovsky, again, struggling. Spencer Knight struggling. And what are you going to do when Alex Lyons in that? I mean, he, he's had to play a couple of games over the past couple of weeks. But I still think they have enough talent on that roster if they can get the goaltending, if they can get a little bit better defensively, that they have the talent to potentially push for that spot. I think they're dangerous. I think Matthew Kachuk is playing out of his mind right now. He just had a five-point game against the Tampa Bay Lightning right out of break. He was the NHL All-Star MVP. So I, I do think that there's a very good chance that they make it, but I really think that when you look at these five teams, there's not much separating any of them. So these are my rankings, but at the same time, this could switch as early as Sunday because these teams are all very close, and I think you'll notice that by who I have at number one. Really quickly, number three for me is the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think they they hold games in hand. Let me look over to the right here. If you're looking on inside the Penguins on YouTube, we have the standings up. They have games in hand on everybody except Buffalo. Huge. They need to address the bottom six. We talked about that already. Can you trust the goaltending? That's a big question. I think you look at it exactly the way you look at the Florida Panthers. Can you trust the goaltending? Can you trust the depth? Can you trust the defense? Those are the biggest questions for Florida and for Pittsburgh. That's why I have them at 3-4. I had them at 2, and that's because of the amount of games in hand they have. The Penguins, at okay. least. Um, because they have a over... Washington, they have three. Over the Islanders, who they are currently tied with in points, they have four. That's yeah. huge. I get this. These, this Penguins team is struggling to find wins at times. But I think in four games, if you had to give them four important games. To get one point. To get one point. Not even get not even get a win to get an overtime point. Which, by the way, we've gone to, I didn't even look into that number. What, like seven times the last eight games now? Yeah, I, think like we can get, I think we can get a point out of it. Um, I think we can have enough faith in the Penguins to do that. You don't want mm -hmm. it to come down to that, but I believe that th those games in hand give us a huge boost in my power rankings, at least. Mm -hmm. um, especially over the Islanders, who, like I said, I'll take as third in this little situation because that's that's all far. That's four games is a lot to be behind. Yeah, four games is a ton to be behind, and I know you traded for Bo Horvat, one of the big fish, but. 
I mean, you follow it immediately up by overpaying for him. I know that doesn't have any effect on his play this season, but um, I don't know. Now all of a sudden he's an $8 million man not producing at an $8 million level, in my eyes at least. Uh, he has 32 goals this season already. Yeah, so he's on but... pace for over 40 goals, which, I mean, again, not to get into any player in specifically, but you have the Islanders. So you have the Islanders. Penguins and then the Capitals, yes. right? Okay, well, I have the Penguins, Capitals, and then the Islanders. And since we're talking about the Islanders, I have them at number one because I think the Bo Horvat trade was a statement. Was, hey, we know where we're lacking. We need better scoring. And they went out and they got better scoring. I mean, he instantly becomes the Islanders' leading scorer by a lot. Uh, he's playing alongside Matthew Barzell, which makes that a very good top line. I think if you look at their top six, it's better than it's been in a long time. They have one of the better defenses in this group right now. And they have easily, and I mean easily, the best goaltender in of these five teams. Not a doubt. I don't care what Casey, sorry, not Casey Smith. Uh, he had a good game on Tuesday, but I don't care what Tristan Jari does. He's not going to be as good as Ilya Sorokin down the stretch. He isn't. Sorokin is first in the league in save percentage this year. He is third in goals allowed average, and he has been that good since coming over to North America. He's just that guy. Everybody wants to talk about the the Igor Shosturkin and the Rangers goaltending situation, but the Islanders have something amazing in Ilya Sorokin. Now they're getting offense to help get them out to leads and then just be able to shut things down with Pelek, Pulak, Mayfield, and that defense, Noah Dobson. I really like the Islanders. I know that they have the most games played out of everybody here, but I think they're going to have the best latter half of the season, which gives them the number one spot in my power rankings. Uh, and then we'll finish off with the Capitals. I have them at two. You have them at one. I like them bringing in Strom and Milano. I think it's worked out well. They just gave both of those guys contracts over the break. And they're in the position they're in right now with Oshie having missed most of the season, Tom Wilson having most, most of the season, Nick Backstrom having missed most of the season, and Anthony Mantha performing really poorly for somebody who's taken up a lot of cap space. If they can move on from Mantha, add another piece, they become very dangerous in my eyes. I do think their goaltending is gettable with Darcy Kemper and then Lindgren as the backup. But when I look at the Capitals, I think they're still a dangerous team, and I think they've done well to try to revamp their forward lineup once last season ended, and they could tell they were dead in the water with the lineup they already had. Yeah, it's really tough to... I mean, the Capitals are also always the team that, no matter what, won the division every year. Yep. Do they still have that in them? I mean, yeah, they're in this position because they had a ton of injuries, but... Uh, it's still a scary team. Sure, they have a lot of focus on getting Ovechkin goals, but uh, along with goal scoring comes some wins on occasion. Mm. So they can still pull together wins. That's kind of why they stand at number one for me in this power ranking. It's They have the sneaky ability to just win games despite how good or bad their roster construction might be. And it's getting better. Mm. It's a weird situation where... Yeah, you look at the Penguins and the Capitals and you go, oh, they're in the same situation. Aging players not performing to their level. Well, first of all, that's looking at it on paper because if you look at the minor details on both teams, the aging players are still doing just fine. I mean, the Capitals just happen to be getting young young, young studs doing a little more. Mm. Whereas the Penguins just don't have a bottom six. Yeah. The one question I have about the Capitals is their defense. Yes. Their, de their defense and their goaltending and their back end kind of scares me a little bit. 
Uh, but their forwards, the way they've revamped that, getting Oshie back, getting Tom Wilson back. I mean, think about that. We have really not seen Tom Wilson at all this season. He's played in a handful of games, and now he's injured again. He's day-to-day. He is a massive part of that lineup. You know, Marcus Johansson has been great for them this season, but getting Tom Wilson back, getting Oshie back, and getting him to play to the standard that he's used to, that's huge for the Capitals. Uh, it's going to be a fun stretch here. Uh, that's why I'm excited that we went to this format instead of just the Metropolitan Division rankings because watching these five teams over the next two months is going to be very interesting, not to mention the fact that over the next month, all of these teams are going to be in it for a lot of trade deadline pieces. The Islanders kick things off in a big way getting Horvat, but you look at the Island, or the, the Rangers, the Capitals, the Penguins, they're all names for Besser. And the Capitals are a big player for, who am I thinking? The other Another one. winger, Timo Meyer. Tack on the Rangers and Patrick Kane, possibly. And the, the Devils are going to go out and potentially get either Kane or Meyer. Like, the East is going to get tougher before it gets easier. Yep, and Ron Hextall needs to wake up and do something about that. I don't think there's any better way that we can close out this episode then, or what. Uh, so that's going to do it for us. We will be back next week with a new episode. Of course, the Pittsburgh Penguins are out west, so we hope everybody's ready for some late-night hockey uh, as they take on the Ducks, the Kings, and then the Sharks next Tuesday. But that's going to do it for this one. We'll see you guys next time. Yeah.